Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us on our season wrap-up of Through the Gates. And let me first of all say hello to co-host Elaine Monahan. Hi, it's great to be here, Jim. Great to have you. And our producer, Violet Barron, is with us. Hi, Violet. Hello, great to be with you both. Great to be with all of you here. We're recording on April 30th, and we're wrapping up our, I'm not even sure what season this is at this point. Feels like our sixth? That's crazy, yeah. And all we're really going to do today is uh, Elaine and I are going to chat and reminisce about the year that we've had. It's been an interesting year for our podcast and for IU. For those who are new to the show, this is a podcast about Indiana University. And we've been doing it now for six seasons, six years. I, I thought it might have been four or five. So the time has flown. Originally intended to be kind of the podcast of Indiana University. Now, of course, there's many, many. But I think we're still, you know, slotted in there as one of the, the granddaddies, the grandmamas of them all. So, Elaine, how was your year, your COVID year? So I guess it depends how you do your math. If we're talking about my COVID academic year, yeah, um, we've been teaching online and that for me has been a really new experience that I thought was going to be, you know, really challenging and I'm not pretending it's not, but I have to say I've been really pleasantly surprised at how well my students and I have taken to the online experience. We've managed to find ways to connect with one another and have fun while learning, um, even though we've had to do it virtually. Although I have to say, I was quite sad this week um, to have to say goodbye to my, my students at our final classes over Zoom. But still, it's been much more fun and, and sort of enjoyable than I expected it to be. So that's been a big plus. What about for what you? Was, well, well, what was that class that you taught? So the one I, I just wrapped up yesterday was my public relations writing class. And mm -hmm. the students were producing portfolios of work. And um, we were partnering, in fact, with um, some really great people in Washington County, right here in southern Indiana, who are working to support children who have dyslexia. Um, and the students were making, they made beautiful brochures um and uh, press releases and social media content and they really took a lot of pride in being able to help um folks in our you know in our neighborhood so to speak um the the dyslexia work that's being done is it's a one woman show a wonderful woman named Cassie who's been popping into class to help um give feedback on the students work and i i guess that's one aspect of zoom um, you know, Cassie's working in a rural county that's not, you know, more than 10 minutes outside Bloomington. And the fact that we've been able to work with her on Zoom has made that work much easier to do. So that's been an upside. Yeah, it's a bit of a drive to Washington County, but it's absolutely beautiful and uh, and not that far from us, obviously. And so that's so cool that uh, that you had that opportunity. Do you think like, you know, my hope is, I asked you about your class, and I did teach a class um, last semester uh, online, like we all did, and I liked it too, and I think it went fairly well. But by the end of it, in all honesty, you know, I was really wishing it wasn't because I was just realizing how much better it could have been, you know, that when you rely on having a personal connection with students and those kinds of things. And so I never 
it, it was again, you know, sad to to uh, see them go via Zoom. Uh, but yeah, I think it went well for me. You know, there were there were sometimes problems and issues. You know, like many students, uh, not many, but some students felt it wasn't. Uh, advisable to like have their camera on during the lecture, let's say, or something like that, you know? And in for many reasons, we didn't really want to force them to do that because there'd be, there'd be reasons not to force them to do that. But so occasionally I'd find myself saying, well, if you want to turn your camera on, your professor would love to see you and, you know, wave hi to me and, and that kind of thing. And, and they would do that, you know? And I think it's also better for some students who, for whatever reason, might be more shy in a classroom environment to speak up in different ways. We really did learn, or at least I learned, that any uh, technology of human communication can be both good and bad in terms of what it allows you to do. And classrooms are great, and I really want to go back to them. Like, you know, 100%, that's where I want to be. But, but that this also teaches us something about uh, teaching and learning. And of course, ultimately, we're a media school here, so you know, hopefully we're learning that lesson, all of us. You're, you're, what you're saying, Jim, is really resonating for me. And it's taking me back to the spring of last year when we started out in person and then all of a sudden we were virtual. Um, I was teaching the reporting class um, for um, the journal and the journalism major that, that semester. So that was a fairly dramatic move on the one hand. And on the other, it meant that the students were going home um, in, in a position to report on what was happening in their own communities. Yeah. Um, and again, it was a, a difficult, obviously, and in many ways, painful transition for people. But one thing I noticed was how, like you said, students who maybe don't like to speak up in class are suddenly um, more able to, either through chat or just because they feel more comfortable having the, the computer between themselves and the rest of the class. I, I don't know, but it was very interesting to see how that changed a little bit for some students who maybe wouldn't always be you know ready to speak up otherwise. Now, how was it for you with Zoom meetings? That was something entirely different for me. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, we attend some meetings together on Zoom, don't we? So, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you know, I love Zoom meetings because I get to see my colleagues who I otherwise don't see. And so in that sense, it's really therapeutic. So I, I guess it depends, right? For small meetings, I think it's really neat. Um, for larger meetings, it's quite hard. And, you know, you as the dean must have some feelings about large Zoom meetings. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, though they can be actually, you know, a faculty meeting, let's say, that's in person can be very stressful if everybody's there in front of you and you know there's going to be some contentious issue, let's say. So you're like, okay, here we go. When those are in Zoom, I did feel slightly less defensive about it because, you know, everybody's on a screen. And I always thought like, you know, if somebody said something really awful, I could just mute them. But I never had to do that. And so there was a bit of a disconnect. So I wasn't really, but, you know, I wasn't really thinking about the faculty meetings. And maybe they should always be on Zoom. You know, that's one thing we could think about is what meetings should just still be on Zoom, you know. But for me, it wasn't the the meeting individual meetings per se. And of course, the ones with you were always thrilling and energizing. But um, 
the the frequent the the number of them, the amount of them, and so you you are correct that like as a dean you would um, or I would have some days. You know, I once counted the most meetings I had in a day was twelve, and I th there are people here who have done more, so I'm not claiming a record, but I am saying that's ridiculous. You know, so that's like watching TV for 12 hours, you know, is what I would um, equate that to. And of course, my mom said, you know, you can only watch TV for half an hour a day or something like that. So it would be somewhat exhausting. I'm not like victimizing myself. Many people had it much worse than I do, you know. And I'm just saying, uh, I always used to complain about the in-person meetings. And now I'm not going to. I'm going to to love them. And uh, last night, in fact, I was able to have cocktails with some colleagues because you know a little bit about this maybe. And we had all been vaccinated. And I was just sitting there going, wow, we're actually doing this, you know. And, um, you know, not to suggest that the pandemic is over worldwide or anything like that. But, you know, it was just a, a feeling of, you know, let's uh, remember what we have here as a community at IU that is, it's not only residential. And of course, we have students all over the world in many different uh, modalities coming to us. But the residential aspect of IU is, I think, what really characterizes us, whether you're faculty members working together or with students, grad students, obviously. So, you know, I just want to see us get back to that as much as we can real soon. Yeah, I feel that way too. And I just while you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, I, I want to sort of give a shout out if any students are listening who've had struggles with their internet ever since last the beginning of last year, especially on international students who, you know, find themselves having to participate in class many time zones away. Um, and sometimes under really difficult circumstances. And of course, our students here at home who might live in areas where their internet access is really not very good and who are just, you know, being kicked off every five minutes or sometimes just can't put their videos on. I know that must be so frustrating. And it's frustrating for me. I mean, I my internet would sometimes just drop. And so I, I would often be left in horror wondering what particular still image was left on the screen <laughs> well <laughs> i waited for the internet to reconnect um so who knows <laughs> i would be the last one to know but i will not be sorry to get back to the classroom at the same time like you i'm kind of excited by the idea that perhaps this will make us more selective about how many meetings we organize <laughs> so elaine you mentioned uh washington county which is south of here in monroe county it has towns like Salem, and uh, there's a beautiful thing there called the, I think, Jackson, Washington State Forest, where I've gone fishing and so forth. And then it reminded me that one thing I did during the pandemic was go to many, many counties like that, not for any work purpose, but only because like on the weekend, what are you going to do during the pandemic, you know? And so I visited, I don't have my map with me, but I visited many, many counties either to go fishing or when it got too cold, I was then taking pictures. And uh, probably 30 counties during the pandemic, 20, 25 maybe, something like that. 
You can grill me on the counties of Indiana if you want. Well, that is pretty impressive. So, I, And I feel like I should mention that the Washington County Project is part of IU's work through the Center for Rural Engagement. Um, and I sometimes think that you are basically going to every rural county in Indiana. Is that your goal? Well, here's the story, you know, Elaine. What happened was working uh, in the Environmental Resilience Institute, uh, as I did, and I still do, for a long time with uh, Ellen Ketterson and Janet McCabe. And Janet McCabe has now become the deputy administrator of the EPA, by the way. I would... I would tell them places I had gone fishing. And Janet said, and she's from Indiana, she's a real, she lives uh, up north. Uh, she said, you should go to every county in Indiana to go fishing. And I said, that's a cool idea, but I think I should try to catch a fish in every county in Indiana. She said, well, that's more challenging. I'm like, well, that's the point of fishing. So, So I started doing that. And I literally printed out a map of the counties. It's just really an excuse to do something on the weekend. So I would go to these counties. And for the fishing, I had been as far to the southeast as Ohio County and Switzerland. Those are the, really the smallest counties. I believe you're familiar with Switzerland County, right, Elaine? Yeah, beautiful place on the Ohio River. It kind of feels like you're not in Indiana there for a moment. And they have wineries even and things. I mean, and, and yeah, your kid's camp is there. So that's in the southeast. Uh, as far as the southwest, one day I went to the southernmost point of Indiana, which is on the Ohio River down in uh, Posey County. And then the same day I was in the westernmost point because it's just around the river bend because of the way Indiana sticks out uh, geographically into where the Wabash and all that come down. And then as far north, you know, as the counties in the region, Lake County and so forth, fishing in Lake Michigan. And northeast was probably the region that's longest to get to, but I have been to some counties up there as well. And I was filling in that map, but there's 92 of them, you know. So this is a multi-year project to fulfill Janet's mission. Uh, but I don't mind. I like learning about, you know, where we live and I'm not from the state, so... Uh, but then as it got colder, uh, things freeze up, you know. I'm, I'm not really going to do ice fishing. I'm too, I'm too afraid to actually stand on ice over a lake. I'm not going to do that. And I also had received a camera for birthday or something. So I just started taking pictures of things in these places. And so it's actually ended up being a lot of the pictures are not just Washington County, but especially actually the region that is served by the uh, Center for Rural Engagement. You know, we can get to these places within an hour, sometimes two. Uh, and you see a lot of things that are really beautiful and pretty, and but there's also a lot of economic struggle there that you can just sort of document. I'm kind of fascinated with old coal mines, you know. They do make interesting pictures. And how many of these places have you been to? Well, not too many, and actually mostly because of my teaching. So I also did work in Orange County um, yeah. through the Centre for Rural Engagement, which, of course, is where French Lake is. So French one, Lake, yeah. Yeah, one, one, one semester, my students were writing all about the history of that part of 
the the state, which is fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love to get out and drive around. Anyone who knows me will tell you that there, there is no drive I haven't tried to do time permitting, although there's plenty I've not done. So um, I've appreciated your um, photographic expeditions. Well, what about this? And Elaine, I just got a new Jeep because the old one had 200,000 miles on it, partly because of this uh, <laughs> folly of mine. And uh, I feel like you could be a great uh, uh, partner. So if I take the pictures, you could write the, um, you know, the material that goes with it. There's only about 60 more counties to go before I have one from every county. That's a lot of writing. I thought you were going to say that I could catch the fish. Well, that too. I mean, it's pretty. Do you ever go fishing? No, I'm, it's not. I don't have the patience to fish. That's something I, I sometimes think that when I grow up, I will be able to fish, but I have never been able to. Fishing is the antidote to the faculty meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so how many, how, how many fish did you have? Have you actually counted the fish or did you just stop doing that when you started taking pictures? I was kind of counting them, but all I really needed was to catch a fish in one county. I, I one fish in a county and I'd say, that's fine. And, you know, you might catch more, what have you. Really, I only did it to have reasons to go out, you know, and you don't have to go fishing to go out. You can just go out and go hiking or whatever. But that's what I enjoy doing. And then the pictures, you know, I have to point out, like, it's fun to take these pictures. If you put them up on Facebook and you spend a little bit of time editing them, people go, oh, that's a nice picture, you know. But then, see, we have people in the media school who really are professional. We're, we're or are professional photojournalists, you know. And so then they put up their pictures and I go, oh, well, see, now that's really something at, you know, like somebody like Steve Raymer or somebody like that. So when, uh, so I'm not proclaiming to be any kind of anything other than a hobbyist, but it's cool to learn. And so if you've taken a picture of a place, uh, you know, you could, uh, Orange County, you mentioned plenty of great things to photograph there. And you do learn about the history. The only problem I would say that I hope could be rectified as things change was was that during COVID, you don't really want to go up and talk to people. So I didn't really. So I have a lot of pictures, you know, of buildings <laughs> and or of landscapes, and there's very few people in them. I, I even did the same thing in the summer. I kind of drove out west to these sort of depopulated places. But again, staying away from people, you know. So now my goal would be like, oh, let's see what these places are like with people in them, uh, if there are people in them. Well, yeah, that's one of the challenges as well, particularly thinking about it sort of with my journalist hat on, you know, that the work of a journalist is very, what you're describing, going out and seeing the world and finding humans to talk to and ask them questions. That's what a journalist does. And of course, it's much harder in a pandemic context on the one hand. And on the other hand, we have all this technology that allows us to interview people, but it's not the same. You have to sort of, I mean, I I keep coming back to this thought in my head, thinking about the pandemic that I've always said to myself and my students that you sort of have to breathe the same air as people in order to understand, you know, where they are. It's not just walking in their shoes, which you can't really do. But you have to sort of at least breathe the same air. Well, you certainly can't do that in a pandemic context. So no, I don't proclaim to breathe to know anyone's air yet. Really, I've just enjoyed going to the places. You learn a lot from the, you know, the political signs you see and 
just the way stores look and the way towns look. And, you know, you do talk to people in gas stations and so forth. I wanted to ask you, Elaine, though, like when you grew up in um, in uh, Scotland, uh, did you were you growing up in a city or in a rural area? So I grew up in a village with, I mean, I, the last census only counted about, I forget now, 70 people, which I have to assume is because they didn't do a good job of the census. But maybe it really <laughs> is only 70. I don't know. There were a few hundred people in it when I lived there. It was a little village called Twynham. And yeah. so it feels very, it felt quite similar in many ways to southern Indiana because I grew up, my neighbours were sheep and cows who would occasionally run through the garden. Um, I mean, I had actual neighbours as well, but the closest ones were sheep. I thought you were going to say they were sheep herders, but no, they were sheep. <laughs> no, they would just hang out. We'd go and talk to them. That was part of my childhood. They would, there was a fence at the back of our garden where there were lots of sheep and they would literally, the sheep are very friendly. They would come and hang their little chins over the fence and wait for oh. us to talk to them. How as cute. surprising as that may seem, it's true. How far How far was that from, you know, like a major city? So, well, it depends on how you define major. <laughs> or any city, I guess. Well, again, it depends on how you define city. I mean, the, the only real city that was within sort of reasonable distance was Glasgow, which is also where I ended up studying, which I suppose is yeah. not entirely unrelated. Um, but that was, in those days, it took a few hours in the car it's quicker now i think um yeah. but the, the place we thought of as the big town was a place called dumfries and not as it's known here i believe dumfries but dumfries and that is the kind of you know hometown of the area where robert burns our national poet would have done his writing and i used to go there for piano lessons when i was little but mostly what so, i remember is being extremely sick in the back of the car Lots of little windy roads. So you went to, you're going to have to say the name again. Dumfries. D-U-M-F-R-I-E-S. But that's not where I went to school. I went to school somewhere even harder to pronounce. Kirkubri. K-I-R-K-C-U-D-B-R-I-G-H-T. Obviously. Kirk Cudbright pronounced Kirkubri. I'm trying to look at a map to see where Twynham is. Is it on Loch Tay? No, it's oh, I'm looking, near I must be looking, lo looking, <laughs> looking at the wrong. We're going to have to do that later on. <laughs> none, of, none of these names are, are pronounceable, pronounceable. That's not a word. By me, <laughs> even with. Oh, there's Dumfries. Wait a minute. I see it now. There you go. Okay, so Dumfries is near Lockerbie, actually, right? Yes, it is. We used to go skating there. And so where's your town? I'm looking for that. You head a little north and west towards the Irish North and sea. west. So I see uh, Drumwern and Henderland and still not seeing your town. Twynham, T-W-Y-N-E. How'd, how'd you get way out there? How did your family get way out there? Well, my dad was working as a lawyer in a town called Castle Douglas. So uh -huh. it's very rural. There's lots of, you know, little places. I, I do see Castle Douglas here, yeah. That's the make of south of southwest Scotland. <laughs> oh well but so you see uh parallels of that lifestyle to what you see in let's say washington county yeah somewhat i mean the difference there was that you know because we had the sea nearby um, and we had relatively warm weather we got lots of tourists so it didn't feel quite so isolated as southern indiana sometimes can but just the landscape and the pace you know the kind of 
like the rural agricultural feel um, is very familiar to me. But yes, obviously we're far from the ocean and that, you know, is the big difference. Now I've solved the mystery. It's Twine Holm, H-O-L-M. Yes. I was looking for Twine-M like H-A-M. That's which because that's how you say it. That's, well, yeah, but there is one in, in Scotland too, yes. apparently. And now I see the other thing that you, Kirk, Kirk, Kirkabright, something Kirk like Kubri. that. You see, we, we, we like visitors to get lost. That's part of the charm of Scotland. <laughs> I love the idea that you were taking piano lessons from Robert Burns. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what was your, uh, let's talk about some of our podcasts. Yes. Before we go out, we've spent... Lavish amounts of time on ourselves, which we take the opportunity to, I guess, once a year. But let's talk about some of our favorite podcasts this year. Yeah, what's can't your favorite, all... Jim? What's your favorite? Well, I got to say, I like, you know, let me just mention a lot of them. We talked to uh, Lori Burns McRobbie, the outgoing first lady of IU. And I know you did that. And that was great. We had Aaron Carroll on to talk about all the cool things we did with vaccination and so forth. Jeff Isaac talked about politics and Trump and so forth. Tyron Cooper talked to us about um, uh, the films being produced over at the um, African-American archives. And we had free speech with Tony Fargo, Steve Sanders. Uh, two favorites I will mention. First one was uh, Douglas Hofstadter. So, you know, and ages ago, I don't want to say ages ago, because maybe he'll hear this and feel like we're saying we're old and stuff. But, you know, in the early 80s, and I was a college student, my roommate brought in a book. And he said, this book is amazing. This is the best book ever. And uh, I couldn't read it until he was done with it. And anyway, it turned out to be Girdle Escher Bach by Douglas Hofstadter, which is this really cool creation, I, I don't know what else to call it, about music and art and mathematics and logic and philosophy and everything. I thought it was like maybe better than the Bible, you know, at that point. And it caused me to read certain other books for a while. And just really, I thought, this guy is so creative. I didn't know he was at IU. And when I came to IU, you know, five, six years ago, I didn't realize that he was here. So somehow we've that we were reminded of that. And we're like, oh, we should have him on the podcast. And what did we even talk to him about, Elaine? You know, this is the funny thing. It was one of those magical conversations that was so magical that the content didn't matter. It was how it made us feel, which was yeah. um, incredibly lucky to be here. And also highly entertained because he changed his name to Houlihan so that it would rhyme with Monaghan and Shanahan. He wanted to have a, Kel a, a Celtic uh, troika. <laughs> I guess a troika is not really Celtic, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was is a it? great one. You speak Russian. Is that a Russian word, troika? It must be, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he Remember, though, Elaine, like he has sent us a thing, and it was his life story. And it was called, what was the name of that puzzle? Like a something, something Graham. And I Googled what it was, and it was like something written with the absence of a letters or, or word or something. Anyway, you know, we were reading this and at first I said, well, this doesn't have the word the in it. So maybe that's what he eliminated. But then you solved it because you like texted me while we were interviewing him. There's no ease at all in this long life story. 
you can't even write life story without any, you know. So he was super clever to write this whole thing uh, without the use of the letter E. Yeah, he basically, I think there's nothing he can't do. That's what's kind of magical about that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think there must be something he can't do, but uh, we couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> and he was also, by the way, and this is just an ad, go back and listen to that podcast, not for not for Elaine and me so much as what he had to say. It was really cool. And he was super nice to us, I think, too, uh, in a way that you don't always know if you're going to get from somebody of high levels of genius, you know. Uh, not that you and I, Elaine, don't display some levels of genius, but, you know, we have to be honest when... When confronted with real genius. It's exceeded. <laughs> what was your favorite? So I, I have to say I loved them all. I really did. Um, and I'll, but I'll mention a couple of things as well as our our um, our Troika uh, podcast. Um, I want to have to give a shout out to John Patton because he seems to be about to invent a vaccine that will solve the coronavirus problem. No pressure, Doctor Patton. And we're waiting. <laughs> we're, we're waiting. We're tapping our toes. And then the other thing I'll just say is, and again, I did love them all. And so it's, it's a hard one to answer. But one of the great things about this podcast has been being able to talk to our students. And yeah. one of them is right here. And her name is Violet Barron. So yeah. I really enjoyed being able to co-host with Violet. And in particular, we talked to Lexi Haskell mm -hmm. about her coronavirus experience. And we had a wonderful conversation with Jacqueline Ferguson, the founding editor of Black Voices, which is a wonderful initiative here at the IU Media School. And it was just fantastic to talk to her as well. So those ones are kind of, I suppose, close to my heart because I do love talking to my students. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and we said we wouldn't mention them all. And we have probably about, I don't know, 10 from this past semester. And I didn't even count them up for the whole year. And listeners should go back. I hope you do. We have now a huge archive of shows. It's interesting if you would go back and listen to the very first episodes of Through the Gates, we were like being like media producers and say, first, we'll have a news segment about IU. And, you know, we had people who were very news voicing, you know, like this week. At I and then we would have the interview. And over the years, we gradually got kind of lazier and um, I won't say lazier, but, you know, just more informal to well, I, I think that's actually more what podcasts are. So if you want the news, you know, turn on Bloomberg or something. And um, this is just people at IU talking to each other ultimately is what it is. And there's other venues and voices for that too. I do want to mention the other podcast that was just like, I think a cool story, uh, which is this this two-part uh, podcast that we had with Bob Shanks. And Bob, you know, was the producer way back in the 60s of huge television shows, you know, and worked with Jack Parr. And uh, he was just like a major television figure uh, at the top of, you know, the industry. And then when I first became dean uh, and I was in Boston, he was living in Western Massachusetts. And he was the first person who sent me a note and said, hello, I want to congratulate you on being dean. And why don't we get together and meet? And so I said, yeah, I'll do that. So I drove out to his place, which actually was in the very western part of Mass. So it was kind of a long drive, but turned out to be just a long relationship with Bob Shanks where he would talk about 
all his different experiences in Hollywood and also in New York media, network television, Jack Parr. And he had amazing stories, many of which probably couldn't be on our podcast, some of which made it onto the podcast. I'm not sure if they should have or not. He would say he would say stuff. He, he was, you know, now much older at this time and therefore I think a little less um, inhibited or filtered about what he said. But anyway, he passed away uh, this year, actually. He was really a super nice guy to me personally. And if you go back and listen to those podcasts and, and Violet, you know, spent some time, I think, making them, his voice, you know, gravelier and sort of older and can, I think, sometimes be a little harder to understand. But in there are some golden nuggets of stories about how he first got his job producing at The Tonight Show. And, you know, he just drops names like, well, Orson Welles or blah, 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 you know. And he came over and uh, drops them totally without any, you know, pretension or irony or anything like that. So uh, that that was my other favorite one. And he was a good good man, a good guy. Definitely worth a listen. So I feel like I have to just make an observation. This is yeah. your last podcast that Through the Gates as Dean. Yeah, that's true. And so um, I'll be stepping down as Dean. Hopefully that won't. Hopefully I can still be on the podcast. I think that's okay, Violet. Yes, definitely okay. <laughs> Welcome. I'm, I'm going to sign a an executive order because that's what we do now. Yes making myself the podcaster for life <laughs> there you go <laughs> of the of iu <laughs> they <laughs> they won't be able to pry me out of my chair <laughs> i think by the way you know my teaching uh was greatly informed by the podcasting because we had well we had done so many podcasts and just talking to people online anyway that it suddenly didn't seem that different to me to just be teaching in the same way. I'm not saying that I'm a great podcaster or anything like that, but just that it seemed very similar in the classroom, you know, sort of, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't too hard, uh, but won't it be cool, Elaine, if we could do the next one in our beautiful podcasting studio here? I can't wait. And it's kind of like being in a goldfish bowl because it's in the, you know, yeah. the atrium, the commons of the, of the media school, so everybody can and spy so. on you. <laughs> yeah, and Violet would be sitting behind the controls there, you know, like a 747. And uh, yeah, and we would just be, I thought what that's what I like, you know. I think, by the way, when you interview people and you can be with them physically, that's a difference too, you know, for sure. And sometimes... There are times interviewing when uh, it could be internet connection or something, and you know we get a little bit disconnected or what have you, and uh, or there's a freeze up or something like that. And uh, I just think you know the next year is going to be awesome that we got through this year pretty well. And on our podcast, Violet did a great job. We should thank her. Thank yes, you, Violet. Violet, oh, you're thank awesome. You. Yeah. Would you like to make an end of year speech, Violet, before we go? <laughs> Well, just that it's been really a pleasure and an honor to work with you both and to learn uh, a lot more about podcasting and producing through this project. I, I feel like I've grown a lot if you listen from the beginning of the year to now, and I'm really looking forward to continuing on this summer and uh, next year. Future historians of IU will be grateful to you. <laughs> You've done a wonderful job, Viola, and I, I, I'll just piggyback on there and see 
how much fun this has been. This is one of the, you know the highlight of my week very often is getting to do this podcast, even though I'm always scared. And then you do it, and it's really fun just chatting to people. Um, so thank you. Elaine, could we have next year starting off maybe just you reading some Robert Burns poems? We could just do that to I'd start. Love that. And in the background, I would hum gently, you know, Loch Lomond or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if there's a song called that, but we'll find one. We should really, of course, do that in January, though, because that's when there's not a song. Burns. What about the you take the high the road Bonnie, and all Bonnie that? Bonnie Banks off Loch Lomond. I think it might be called You Take the High Road. Now I have to okay. check. I'll never live it down. Yeah, really. I mean, you're the Scottish expert here. <laughs> As usual, I'll take the low road. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, maybe we'll say we'll see you next year, which is going to be probably Violet around August, right? That's right. Though we may have something in store for you over the summer, so check your uh, check your pod feeds. Yeah, fantastic reruns and specials and all kinds of stuff coming through the summer. We wish you all a great summer. To you, Violet and Elaine, I wish you a great summer too. And to you, Jim. Bye, everybody.